The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. How you guys doing tonight? Yeah, thanks for coming out, guys. Um, really, really uh, good to, to be able to hang out with you tonight. Let's pray, and then we're going to get into our last spiritual discipline teaching. God, we just want to start uh, instantly by, by really giving you our attention and our focus Lord, I just thank you so much for that time of worship, God. It's so good to just be able to give you the praise that is due. Father, as we look at this topic, God, I I just pray that you would really bring clarity and conviction, that, God, you would have a very specific word for your church tonight, Lord, for heritage tonight. And, God, none of us by any means are doing this uh, perfect or even well, probably, God. I just pray that by your goodness and by your grace, you would convict us, Lord. Um, Give us a heart for the lost, God. Give us passion for those that are headed um, for eternal hell, eternal separation from you, God. Lord, we love you. Again, Lord, I just pray you would just move me, remove me out of the way and speak tonight. God, no one's interested in what I have to say. Everyone is interested in what your word says and what you want to speak prophetically to us tonight. So God, we listen, we open our ears, we open our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So there I was, standing in the middle of the room, like a complete doofus, listening to my district manager tell me what we were about to have to do. I used to work in retail at a store called The Buckle in the mall, and it's like a sort of a, a high-pressure sales job, so you, you sort of make commission, and you got to sell clothes, and, and here I am standing there, my district manager standing there with his pen. He's visiting from Boise, Idaho, and it's just stressful when your district manager's there. You got to perform. You got to make sure that, you know, things look good, like you're doing things well, and, and he says, hey guys, today we're going to do this thing called front five. That means that we're going to work on the front five percent of the store. What we're going to do is we're going to stand at the front of the store and, and organize the shoe towers, and then as people walk by the store, not people wanting to go in the store, but just people walking by the store, you're going to entice them to come into the store. <laughs> and I'm standing there, and my jaw just drops like, are you kidding me? You want me to try to get people that don't want to go into our store into the store. And sure enough, he goes out there with his pen in his ear like this wizard and this guru just starts getting people in the store somehow, convinces them some, for some reason, and our store fills up and it's crazy and it's busy. Uh, but I could not think of anything worse and more awkward than having to walk up to a stranger and try to convince them that they should come into my store and spend money. It just sounded like probably the most horrible thing ever. And so obviously when he ba- went back to Boise or Idaho Falls or wherever he was from, we never did it. <laughs> um, I don't work there anymore, so whatever. Uh, so I, I can't really think of a better illustration of what most, how most of us feel about evangelism. <laughs> it just feels awkward. I can't think of a lot of things that would make Christians feel more guilty and more anxious than the thought of evangelism. The thought of going up to a complete stranger, um, in most cases, and, and sharing or engaging them about our faith and our belief system, it, it just feels hard. I'm a pastor. I get paid for a living to talk about the gospel and study the word and lead worship and things like that. And it's still hard for me. The other day I did a benevolence thing where I went and got some gas for some people that that I think were ripping us off, but whatever, um, trying to get some gas on their way through. And and everything in me was like, tell them the gospel, tell them the gospel, tell them the gospel. And everything in me was like, it's so hard. 
right? So hard. It's so awkward to talk about our faith sometimes. And, and I really don't know what that is, but it's just a tough thing. And if we're all being honest, and maybe there's a few of you in here that are like, what are you talking about? I have no problem with that. For all honest, it's hard for almost all of us to evangelize. It's really hard to talk about our faith, especially with people that we know. What is it? I'll tell you what goes through my head. Okay, what if, what if they don't want to hear it? right? What if they just reject me flat out? What if they have heard it already or heard a version of it already? What if, um, and and then they just say, no, I've heard that. I I get that all the time. Um, What if they think I'm crazy, okay? What if they think I'm I'm an app screwball? What if they think I'm a a fanatic? What if, um, what if I don't know what to say, right? What if I open my mouth to to, to tell them the gospel and all of a sudden I forget it? (laughs) Like, hey, there's something that's really good news and I need to tell you, but I can't remember what it is. And uh, what if that happens? Or what if I tell it wrong? What if I get it wrong and I tell them the, the wrong message and then, and then I forever, you know, mess them up and they don't get saved and then everything's horrible? What if they ask me a question and I don't know what to say? What if they say, well, how can a loving God send people to hell? You know, why would God create a hell that, that he would send people? And then I go, uh, I don't know. You know, these are the things that go through my head when I think about evangelism. Maybe you guys can relate a little bit with that. Why does it feel so awkward? And even more so, why does it feel so awkward when someone comes and tries to tell us? Have you ever, I was, in, I was in a thrift store the other day, and this guy came up to me. He didn't know I was a Christian. He didn't know I was a pastor. just a random guy. He came up to me, and he started sharing the gospel with me. And, and <laughs> I was kind of just like waiting a little bit to hear what he was going to say. And he did it in such an awkward and abrasive and almost like, like um, intense way that I could not help but think if I was a non-Christian, I would be so irritated right now. So irritated. It's just the way that he came off felt canned. It felt aggressive, like he was attacking me and things like that. And even once I told him I was a Christian, he started questioning me how often you read your Bible. When was the last time you, when was the last time you shared the gospel? You know, I'm like, whoa, dude, I don't even know you. I'm just in a thrift store right now. You know what I mean? So it, it, it's, it's, ins- it's an insanely awkward thing for a lot of people. The question is, is why? Why is it so awkward? Here, here's a couple of reasons why. And there's, there's, we could go deep into this and go into the theology of why there's this tension. Um, We could go into the spiritual reasons why. But here's a few reasons why I think it's so hard to share the gospel in our community. Number one, I think that we are so bombarded with people giving messages, okay? Everything in our culture has a message for us, right? You can't watch TV without watching these messages, right, in between. And every person has the next thing that's going to change your life, Everybody has the next product that if you take that, all of a sudden your back won't hurt, you'll be good looking, you'll be 20 years younger. I mean, everyone has a thing for you. Everyone has a message for you. Um, You can't watch a YouTube video without getting an ad. You can't turn on the radio without getting a political ad now telling you that Donald Trump is horrible or that Ted Cruz is great or whatever it is. Like, you, you can't live without getting some kind of a message. And then you have your friends. Friends are always trying to get you on some kind of diet right? Like, oh, you got to try it. It's paleo. Oh, you got to try it. It's Atkins. Oh, you got to try it. It's whatever it is. It's vegan. It's, it's, it's all meat. It's no meat. It's candy. It's no candy. Everyone's trying to get you on a diet. Then there's the exercise thing. Everyone's trying to get you to do some sort of an exercise thing. Oh, you got to do CrossFit. Oh, you got to do Pilates. Oh, you got to do yoga. You know, whatever it is. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of different things. People are always trying to get us to do something, some kind of a different message. There's the hobby thing. You got to try golf, right? Golf's going to change your life. Doug Gardner, he's going to get me to kayak one of these days, I know. He's going to get me out there, and then I'm going to die. I'm going to drown. It's going to be horrible. Um, Everyone's got a thing for you, you know, and everyone's got a message for you, and our whole world has a message for you. So it makes sense that sharing the gospel would feel awkward because people are just tired of getting messages. Like, enough. 
Tell me another thing that's going to fix my life. Don't tell me another thing that's going to change my life. The second reason I think it's awkward is because we don't trust people. Most people out there are out to get us, take advantage of us, get what they can from us, right? And honestly, there's a lot of crazy people out there. I don't want to be thought of as a crazy person, right? I don't want to walk up to a stranger and tell them, hey, I have a message for you, and they go, you're nuts. But a lot of people are, and a lot of people don't care about us at all. So those are some of the things that make it awkward. But I think one of the primary reasons it's so hard is because I think we've made evangelism something that it wasn't necessarily intended to be. I think we've sort of, we've sort of boiled it down and transferred it into something God never meant for it to be. Um, humans have this tendency of taking things that are organically grown. I'm going to sound totally like a hippie right now. Uh, th- this, this tendency of taking things that are organically grown and turning them into GMOs. Okay, what I mean by that is that something God made naturally, it's a plant, it comes out of the earth, and then man says, oh, hey, we should figure out how to make that better. We should figure out how to, you know, genetically modify that. We should figure out how to process that. We should figure out how to cook that. We should figure out how to construct that for ourselves. We do that with all kinds of things. We did that with evangelism, I think. I think something that God designed to be a very natural rhythm of life as a Christian something that's not burdensome from you, but something that comes from the deepest parts of your soul naturally, we've taken that and tried to make it into something and control it in the form of things like this. Now, let me finish before you get upset, okay? Um, The forms of things like this, tracts, okay? Just hand out a tract. Here's all you gotta do to evangelize is just give somebody that tract, stick it on the back of the toilet seat, slide it under the door, hide it in your friend's lunchbox, you know, just hand out the tracks, let the track tell them the gospel. Um, the way of the master series, you guys ever see that before? Totally good, nothing against it, okay? But I remember sitting in youth group watching that and thinking like, oh, that's how you evangelize? That looks hard. I gotta ask him those questions? Um, I mean, when am I ever gonna have five minutes with a total stranger to ask him all those questions? Um, we, we've tried to boil down evangelism into this kind of like process thing, okay? Uh, or street evangelism, so churches go do street evangelism, which I think is great. Okay, uh, where you go out and you say, here's what we're going to do, and here's the questions you ask, and here's how you engage people, and here's how you talk to people. Uh, church programming, some churches have programming for evangelism. Okay, we're going to have a service for the lost. We're going to invite the lost in. I think that's great, but again, trying to control it door to door. Hey, go knock on doors, hand out magazines, whatever it is. We've made all of these different ways to try to teach the church and get the church to evangelize, and it doesn't really seem to be working doesn't really seem to be working. I mean, I've, I've taken in all kinds of, uh, of to-dos and, and lists of how to evangelize. I, I've read the questions you can ask, and it hasn't made it any easier for me. It hasn't made it any easier at all. A lot of people go the approach of just bring them to church, right? Let the pastor get them, you know? That's, that's one route, you know? Take them to a, a tent revival, take them to a harvest crusade, um, whatever it is. But here's my thought, okay? Now follow me on this. It's all by way of intro. Um, my thought on this is that I don't know that God necessarily intended that to be what evangelism looks like. Maybe a very small part of it. But God, if you remember, or Jesus, when you remember, when he sent out his disciples in something called the Great Commission, you guys familiar with that? The Great Commission was basically the Jesus saying, okay guys, your time with me is done, and now I'm going to send you out to the world to fulfill your mission. And that mission was, do you remember what it was? To make disciples of all nations. I think that evangelism is a part of that, but the ultimate goal is to make disciples. So here's what I think we've done. 
We've turned sharing the gospel into something that's like a quick hit and run. Throw a track, run away. Hey, let me talk to you for five minutes. Okay, you heard the gospel, I'm out, right? I don't think that's ever what God's intent was for it to be. I think God's intent was very much the way that Jesus did it. See, Jesus came up to a few men, different circumstances, different places, uh, and he said, hey, how's the fishing? Let's chat. He engaged them. And then he didn't walk away after five minutes and say, okay, I told you the gospel. Who's next? He walked with them for three years. He literally did everything that he did with them at his hip. And you know what's funny? They didn't get it for a long time. It's not like they got saved right away and then the discipleship process started. Like, it wasn't like evangelism and then discipleship. It was like discipleship and evangelism all in one. And then after three years, they finally started to get it. But it took a lot of time. And it took a lot of work. It took a lot of labor. And it took them letting him down. It took him serving them. It took him repeating himself again and again. And them getting confused again and again. I mean, it was a process. So why would we think it would be something as easy as like, hey, read that tract? Why would we think it would be something as easy as, hey, just come to church? Can that work? Yes. Has it worked? Yes. Is that the most ideal way? I don't think so. I'm simply saying that I think God's ideal for evangelism is to be commingled with discipleship. I think that God wants you to give the gospel to people that you are part of life with. So, my intention for this teaching is not to give you a bunch of sort of how-tos on how to evangelize. My intention for this teaching primarily is to get you excited about what should just come out of you naturally. Something that isn't going to take a ton of intention, hopefully. Something that should just flow out of you. Now, the word evangelize, if you're taking notes... The word evangelize that we all use, the name of the bookstore in the mall, evangelical, which a lot of people think of the Christian church as evangelical, okay, is from the word evangelion. It's a Greek word, or I'm sorry, euangelion. I said that wrong. And that word just basically means gospel or good news, okay? It's very simple. We are evangelists because we are messengers of good news, We're not evangelists because we memorized a 10-point script. We're not evangelists because we walk people through Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. We are evangelists simply because we give someone good news. We give them good news. It's really that simple. The Bible makes it simple. I think that we should make it simple as well. So I'm not going to attempt to clutter tonight's teaching with here's, you know, 20 how-tos on, on how to evangelize and here's how you approach them. I don't want to be like my district manager who's like, you know, pretend like you're doing the shoe racks and then walk up and say, hey, I like your pants. Where'd you get them? You know, I'm not, we're not going to do that with evangelize. We're not going to like Jesus juke people into the kingdom, okay? That's not, it just doesn't work like that. I don't think it works like that. I've never experienced it working like that. I don't want to put a guilt trip on you guys tonight where you go home and while you're driving, you're like, shoot, I got to go talk to that homeless guy or I'm, I'm doomed, right? It's really not what I want at all for tonight. So having said that, take your Bibles if you guys got them. Luke chapter 24, uh, while you're turning there, give you a little bit of background about what's going on here. The story that we're going to look at tonight really begins at the end. It begins at the end. It's not in the beginning when Jesus came and found the disciples. and It's not even in the middle where they were healing and casting out demons and being transfigured and, and all of these things. It, our story tonight happens at the end. 
In fact, the very end, it's literally the, some of the last words that we see Jesus speaking to his disciples before he gives them the great commission and sends them off to the book of Acts, right? Chapter two of Luke's book. So our story begins in the end. Much has happened at this point. As I said earlier, Jesus has walked with these men. He's, he's, he's camped with these men. He's been, through, uh, he's been through all kinds of turmoil with these men. He's argued with them. He's corrected them. He's led them through all kinds of seasons. They've been confused quite a bit. He's walked with them all throughout Palestine. Nothing confused them more than the crucifixion. Nothing made them scratch their heads more than when Jesus would talk about how he was going to die. It was so confusing to them because they had this understanding, okay, um, needing to be discipled. They had this understanding that Jesus was going to come and make Israel a superpower again and he was going to be the king and everything was going to be roses and he was going to kick Rome's tail out to get out of Palestine, get out of Israel. We're a nation. They had this idea and nothing confused them more than Jesus saying weird things like, I'm going to die. What are you talking about? You're going to die. They were completely confused by it. So things are great. Everywhere they went with Jesus, things happened. He walked on water. He spoke and waves calms. He spoke and, and kids rose from the dead and Lazarus rose from the dead. And then like a bus slamming to a concrete wall, everything stopped. Everything stopped. Jesus died. All of this ministry, all of these things that have been happening come to a cease, come to an end because Jesus is now hanging on a cross pierced, with a crown of thorns being mocked, being spat on, naked, everything that they thought was going to happen changed, and now they don't know what to do. They're completely confused. They're completely at a loss because their Lord, their master, their rabbi is gone. He's in a tomb. So they go fishing, right? Then the unthinkable happens. Jesus' ultimate display of power, he resurrects. He conquers death, the one thing no human can do. He does it. He raises from the grave and slowly begins to appear to different disciples at different times. And then in Luke chapter 24, he sits and he has a conversation with his disciples. Sort of the final words that we see him speaking to his disciples before he sends them out to what? To make disciples. So what I want to do, guys, I want to be a fly on the wall tonight and I want to be part of this conversation. And I want to look at two things in this conversation. I want to say, what is he saying to the disciples that we need to hear when we go make disciples? And secondly, what is he saying that the lost need to hear? Okay, so we're going to look at four things, four things that we need to hear and that the lost need to hear. And, I, and, I, and I'm hoping that in these, we'll be able to explain a little bit more um, what evangelism should look like and really what communicating the gospel to the lost should look like. So, if you guys are there, chapter 24, starting in verse 36. It should be up there. If not, if you guys got your Bibles, let's read it together. Verse 36, Luke 24. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit or a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you doubt? Or why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me, see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And as he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Okay, now, 
picture this. Put yourself in this position. You've literally been just crushed and, and, and absolutely discouraged by the crucifixion. There's just, there seems to be no hope. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, who is dead, appears to you. I mean, you're freaking out. You're freaking out. How is he here? I thought he was dead. Is he a ghost? Are you a ghost? Come here. Let me, let me pinch you. That's the first thing you would want to do. Like, let me tell you. are not real. Okay, this, is, this, is, this has got to not be real. So Jesus says, hey, come here. Feel me. I'm flesh and blown. I'm not a spirit. Feel my wrists. Feel me. I'm a real person. I've been resurrected. And sure enough, they feel and they see that he is real. Now, what happens here is one of the most important and crucial components that has to happen before you are ready to go make disciples. It had to happen to the disciples, and it has to happen to us before we are able to truly evangelize, before we are truly to make disciples. And that is that we have to comprehend the power of God over death. This had to happen. When you look at the disciples in, 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 in the Gospels, they're pretty pathetic. Okay? They're pretty much do the same things I'm sure I would have done. But they're pretty pathetic. And then you flip over to the book of Acts, and these guys are like different guys. I mean, they do miraculous things. Paul gets bitten by a viper, and he's just like, meh. He lives. He gets shipwrecked. He lives. I mean, it's insane. The things that happened, the, the, the faith that these men had, the power of God that they manifested, the amount, I mean, 5,000 people just getting saved at a drop of a hat when the gospel is proclaimed. These men did powerful and amazing things, largely because of the Holy Spirit. But there's another piece to that. They saw the resurrection. They believed. Finally. I mean, they, the disciples had a hard time, didn't they, with the power of God? They'd see Jesus do something and they'd be like, okay, that's weird. We'll see what happens. And then he'd do something crazy again. That's weird. But when he rose from the dead, something changed in them. Something changed. Said, okay, the power of God is real. And the last thing that Jesus needed them to see before they could go be unleashed on the world was that they needed to see the power of God manifested in him being resurrected. Flip with me really quick to 1 John chapter 1. It's at the end of the New Testament, 1 John chapter 1. John, the beloved disciple, John, the beloved apostle, he pens in his epistle this. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Who is the word of life? Jesus is the word of life. The life was made manifest. He was shown to us, okay? And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was, the, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you that you may have fellowship with us. And he goes on. What is he, what is he saying? Why do he keep saying it over and over and over again? As John opens up his epistle, he keeps saying, look, we saw it. We heard it. We felt him. We heard him come back and explain the scriptures. To he was resurrected. We saw it. And because we saw it and because we were overwhelmed by the reality of it, now we're here making disciples. Now we're here making disciples. You will only make disciples. Listen, you will only make disciples. And you will only evangelize to the extent that you allow yourself to realize the power of God. And that he is resurrected. 
He has to impact you in your life. He has to move you in your life. Like the disciples, you have to say, holy cow, he resurrected. Let's go tell some people. That guy just conquered the grave. We hear that all the time, so it loses its effect. That guy just literally conquered death. I have got to go tell some people about it because we've seen it, because it's real to us. Because it's real, it's going to move me to action. Evangelism simply happens when you're moved by the power of God. Nothing is more powerful than your testimony. You know that? Nothing is more powerful than reiterating to the lost how God moved you in your life. Okay? Not, oh, let me tell you what happened in my buddy's life. Let me tell you what happened in someone else's life. Let me tell you what happened in Billy Graham's life. Or no, what happened in your life? How did Jesus manifest himself to be powerful in your life? How did he reveal himself to you in your life? This is why new believers are some of the most effective evangelists. Have you ever noticed that? Man, when people get saved, they are just like on fire to tell everybody about it. I mean, they gotta tell everybody. Why is that? Because it's so fresh to them. The power of God is so fresh to them. I can't believe that he saved me. I can't believe that I'm changed. I had a buddy in Wairika growing up that was like literally doing meth, selling meth, just a rough guy. When he got saved, it, like he lit up the town. Everybody had to know the gospel. All of his buddies that he sold drugs to, all of the kids that looked up to him uh, and did drugs like he did, all the people he got in fights with, they all had to know the gospel. You gotta know this. This is the power of God, I gotta tell you. He was overwhelmed by it. And then as we grow as Christians, it seems to get less and less urgent to us, doesn't it? Does that ever frustrate you? It drives me crazy. I've been saved for like 10 years, and I feel like sometimes the longer I'm saved, the, less it, the, the harder it is. I should have 10 years of testimony of the power of God present in my life that I should want to go tell people. Why is it getting harder? It's, it's because to the level that I allow myself to see God's power and presence in my life is the level that I'll be able to share doesn't need to be something, oh, I feel guilty, I gotta go share the, share the faith, like, oh, I gotta go make disciples, I feel bad. It will just happen naturally when you are overwhelmed by the power of God. We will be effective at making disciples to the extent that Jesus is among us. Jesus stood there, he stood among them. Now listen, this is important for heritage, okay? Evangelism does not come through church programming, okay? Any more than a perfect country comes through bigger government, okay? It just doesn't work, okay? People get mad at church leaders because we should be doing more, we should be doing more, we should be doing more. Not always, okay? If our church puts every ounce of effort we have into evangelism, that doesn't ensure that evangelism is going to happen. Evangelism happens when the people in the church are moved by the power of God to share the gospel with those that they are around, with their coworkers, with their friends, with their family members. The leadership here can't force you to evangelize. And a program is not gonna do it. A program is not what we need. What we need is people that are affected by the gospel and wanna go tell people. Part of the biggest problem I think people have when they think about sharing the gospel is they feel like they have to explain Christianity. Well, let me explain why Christianity's kind of weird, you know? Like, well, let me explain why I'm that, like, Ned Flanders is, you know, like, that, we're not all like that, I promise, you know? <laughs> Ned Flanders is like the perfect illustration of what most people think of Christians as. 
Well, let me explain. I know that church you went to when you were a kid was boring. I know it was lame, but come to my church. It's really cool. Let me explain to you why Christian's good. And, and yeah, I know like we've done weird things in the Crusades, and that was all awkward, and they were beheading Muslims, and I know that's all weird, but, but trust me, Christianity, it's cooler than that. You don't need to explain Christianity. You're not saving anybody into Christianity. Explain the power of God in your life. Explain a person, Jesus Christ. Explain how his power has moved you. Number two, look at verse 36. Again, we're looking at four things here if you're taking notes. Verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. If you have a pen and you like underlining, underline those three words. Peace to you. Uh, You could just kind of read over that and be like, oh, that was a greeting, okay? Yeah, it was a greeting, you know, shalom, peace. But it was more than that. I love that Jesus' first words to them, his first greeting to them is peace to you. And here's why. Because Jesus didn't just finish being crucified. Jesus didn't just finish getting beaten and scourged and mocked and, and hung on a cross. Listen, Jesus just finished going to war. You understand that? Jesus just took on Hell itself, death itself, absorbed the wrath of God so that we could be saved. He literally went to war as the king, becoming the suffering servant. And when he comes to his people, having just fought a war on our behalf, the first thing he says is, peace. It's done. It's finished. The war is over. It's done. I've settled it. He's not just returning from the cross. He's returning from a battle. Now, here's what I believe to be one of the greatest mistakes that the church has made when it comes to evangelism. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we've made is that we've refused to tell people about the war. We only tell them about the peace. If you were asked, uh, to ask any American right now, do you know the gospel? I guarantee they would say, yeah. And then you say, well, what is it? They would say, Jesus loves me. Now, is that the gospel? It's a facet of it. It's a facet of it. I think the problem, guys, primarily, is we, we think people know the gospel in our country, but they don't. We think because they've been told or seen a blimp or had a mug or saw a bumper sticker that said that Jesus loves them, that somehow they've been told the gospel. But you have to see the peace through the perspective of the war. You have to see it through the perspective of the war. Telling an American that Jesus loves them is almost a horrible idea. Because you know what we think as Americans? Of course Jesus loves me. I love me. Of course God's crazy about me. I'm crazy about me. It's like the Donald Trump thing, right? Everybody loves me. I love me. I'm the best person in the world. He represents us. That's how we think. That's how we are. We love ourselves. We love to be loved. And we think everyone loves us, and we don't understand why anyone wouldn't love us. And if they don't like us, it's because there's something wrong with them, not because there's something wrong with us. If Simon Cowell tells you you can't sing, it's because he's an idiot, because your mom told you that you're awesome. It's the culture we live in, right? We love us. Everyone loves us. Of course God loves us. Hey, Jesus loves you. Sweet. Another guy in my club, right? We can't fathom the fact or the idea that there would be a God that wouldn't just love us naturally. The problem is, is that we've given people this idea that Jesus loves them, but it's only powerful if they understand why. Why is it powerful that Jesus loves me? 
you have to explain the peace of the gospel through the war. Let me explain what I mean by that. If you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it'll also be up here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What Paul is saying here is that there is a war. There has been a war ever since Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve fell, man went to war with God. Man is the enemy of God by nature. We're born into being an enemy of God. You say, no, I, don't, I love God, and, and I, have, I have friends that are, that, are, uh, that are non-believers or Unitarians, and they love God. No, they don't. They love a God they've invented. They don't love the true God. They're not accepting him on his terms, because what does it say in Romans? The unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. People hate God, and they're trying to kill God. They're trying to destroy God by evolutionism. By destroying the idea of hell or destroying the idea of a God who is anything they don't like. We don't like the idea of the true God. We hate the idea of the true God. Man is at war with God. And you don't hear this much in church. And you don't hear this much today, especially in the charismatic evangelical mainstream church. Okay, you just don't hear it anymore. All we want to say is Jesus loves you. That's true, but it's only beautiful if you realize where you were at and where you were standing before the love of Jesus came. You were at odds with God. Ephesians 2 says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Every breath that you took was an offense to God. People say, how can God allow things to happen in this world? How can God allow sick and horrible things? Who causes those things? We do. The sickness of this world is not God, it is man. The sinfulness of man is a sickness that cannot be quenched. And that sin can only be paid, according to Leviticus, by death and by blood. Man has been at war with God. You don't hear that message. And we don't like to preach that message. Hey, man, yeah, I don't know, you don't know me, but God is at war with you and you hate him. And, but Jesus loves you. I mean, that's a hard thing to say, right? That's why we need discipleship. We need to talk through these things. Uh, I have an example of this. I, back when I worked in retail, once again, I, I worked with a guy who was my age. And um, we'd talk, and he saw my life, and he saw me bring my Bible to work, and he saw me um, and how I conducted myself and things like that. And he knew that I seemed to have answers on some of these things. And um, I've told this story before, but humor me. Um, so when the whole Sandy Hook Elementary thing came up, he was rocked. He did not know how to process that. How could a kid go into a school and shoot little kids? How could you possibly do that? How could God allow that, right? And so he's asking me, he's like, hey man, what does your God say about that? And I said, well, here's the thing. Who did that? Well, that kid did. Was that kid a good person? No. Are you a good person? Yeah. Says who? How are you any different? And I began to explain to him the wrath of God and the holiness of God, that God separates himself from sin, and that God has made a way to deal with sin through the cross, and that actually he is just as bad as you and I, that we're all sinners before God, right? And, and I, I explained this idea of wrath, and it was kind of funny as I'm folding jeans talking to him, I'm like, well, this is weird. I'm explaining wrath to a non-believer. Never done that before. It's usually just like, God has plans for your life in Jeremiah 29, 11, and he has cool things for you, and you're going to have a great life if you get saved. I'm like, actually, if you, yeah, God hates sin, and man makes sin. There's a war there going on. <laughs> and it was cool because as I was explaining this, he's like, that makes sense. He's like, I've had all kinds of Christian friends, and no one's ever told me that. No one's ever told me that apart from, you know, accepting Jesus, I was at war with God. 
He said, that makes more sense because that, that means that God isn't just allow justice. God is going to justify, God is going to bring justice on all sin. All sin will be paid for, either by Christ or by the person who committed it, right? He is a holy and a righteous God. He doesn't wink at sin. He doesn't ignore sin. He deals with it. He's a righteous God, an all-consuming fire who hates sin, and we are sin producers. What Jesus came to do was to make peace between God and man. What Jesus came to do is to cover and the sin of man and to replace the sinful heart of man with a new one. To take a heart of stone and make a new heart with new longings. Now, when you see that peace that Jesus calls for through the lens of the war that man has been at with God, it is so much sweeter, is it not? We have to walk people, disciple people through the fact that they need to be saved. Saved from what? Hey man, you need to be saved. Saved from what? What are you talking about? I'm fine. Safe from what? I mean, in America, we, we really don't see anything we need to be safe from. We got, we're fine. We're good. I mean, I, I'll go get food stamps. I'll be good, you know? It's the worst that can happen to me. I get locked up. I'm in, they're going to feed me in prison. There's TV in prison. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? I mean, we don't see ourselves in America in a place of being saved because we don't understand who we need to be saved from. We need to be saved from God's wrath by God himself. We have to explain that. Listen to what C.J. Mahaney says. I love this. He says, Before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, leading us to faith and worship, we have to see it as something done by us, leading us to repentance. Only the man, listen to this, only the man or woman who is prepared to own his share in the guilt of the cross may claim his share in its grace. The men that pierced his hands and put him on the cross represent you and I. So I wouldn't have done that. Yes, you would have. I wouldn't have eaten the, the, the fruit like Eve and Adam. Yes, you would have. They represent mankind. That mankind has been trying to kill God for a really long time. And Jesus used the injustice of man to save man from their injustice. He used the cruelty of man that would think up something as horrible as crucifixion to save those men that were crucifying him. To give them an avenue to be at peace with God for the first time in all of history. Isn't that amazing? This is the message of the gospel that we need to be evangelizing. You need to get saved from the war that you are at with God. And Jesus has made that way. Mahaney goes on to say, only those who are truly aware of their sin can truly cherish grace. Someone who does not think they're broken will never think they need to be fixed. So what we're doing is we're going and telling people, hey, Jesus loves you. And they say, cool. Put that in my Shelf with all my other cool things. Who cares? You say, hey, did you know that you're at odds with the God of the universe that's an all-consuming fire and has holy and righteous and raw indignation against every sinful thing in the world, including your wicked heart, and Jesus saved you from that? In fact, he absorbed that. He took the beating you deserved. Jesus took more hell than every person could take in an eternity all in a moment on the cross for you? That makes that message so much sweeter, doesn't it? The people that lived in the 50s really enjoyed the peace. You know why? Because they went through World War II. Man, they went through the hell of war, seeing what war was like, having to experience that, see their friends and loved ones die, being hungry, going all through the things of war, and because of that, the contrast of peace was amazing. 
So start there. Number three, back to the text, verse 41. The third thing we need to see here. Verse 41, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, and this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, have you anything here to eat? They give him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. So picture this. Okay, this is funny, actually. Uh, Jesus shows up. They think he's a ghost. They can't believe it. He just got crucified, and now he's here. Like, no, I don't believe it. Let me, let me feel you. Hold on. Okay, you're real. Okay, let me, everyone's like, okay, hold on, Jesus. Let me get my head around this for a second. You're alive. How is that possible? Are you a ghost? Am I dreaming? No, not dreaming. I'm awake. And Jesus is like, hey, yeah, while you're trying to figure that out, do you guys got any food? Is that pizza I smell? You know, like, what do you got in your fridge? You know, it's like when you go over to your, your, your parents or your in-laws, you're like, what's in the fridge? You know, what do you, what do you got here? Well, you guys are kind of, you know, trying to piece together how it is possible that I'm alive. I'm hungry. It's, I just love that. I love that about Jesus. It's like, got some fish? Fish sticks? Yeah? Okay, cool. He eats. He's hungry. Most people think of God as this distant and angry. When you, when you approach the non-believer, they have all these, these ideas about who God is, you know. One of, the, one of the primary things that they think about him is that he's, he's a distant deity. Most people believe in God. Do you know that? There's very, actually very small amount of people in this country that are, are uh, atheists. Most people believe in some sort of God. But most people would think a few things about God that are not true. They would think either he's completely distant and disconnected from God, that he dropped off some primordial soup one day and spun it into evolution, and then we turned into, you know, monkeys and blah, 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 and then he's off doing other things. You know, he's going through midlife crisis in heaven somewhere, and we're just here, you know? That's what most people think about when they think about God, or they think he's just an angry dictator, you know? I mean, they just think he's like, he's up there just picking on people, like, ha, flat tire, Ha, divorce, you know? I mean, like, he's just up there screwing with people, making everything hard for everybody. This is, this is the idea that people have. But what I love about Jesus is that he is the language of God. What I love about Jesus is that he makes God relatable. God is no longer this dictator sitting on some, you know, throne far away, staring at us with disappointment. But now God has flesh, there's no greater language for man to be able to relate with than another human being. That's why we tell stories. You know? I mean, I could try to explain something to you, you know, through a thousand words, but if you just show you a video of someone's life, that's why documentaries are cool. We see people's life. We want to see things in flesh. I was just reading, I'm reading a book about preaching and communication right now, and um, they say the journalists' number one rule is to always bring a story into it. The 60 minutes always has, a, always has a, a human story, a human element. The news always has a human element because we learn through humans. We connect with humans, and God knew this, and God had a desire to communicate with his people. Okay? He didn't want to just run off and say, enjoy living. Sorry, life sucks a little bit. <laughs> no, he said, I'm going to communicate to you through flesh, through being and becoming a human. That's why Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What I love about this moment where Jesus says, hey, you got any fish, is it shows the humanity of Christ, that he cares, and that he relates. What does that have to do with evangelism? When you're talking to your unsaved friends, when you're talking to your unsaved family members, they need to know this. Did you know that Jesus cares about these things? So you're, you're getting your hair cut, quick cuts, and the gal that's cutting your hair is just talking about how horrible her marriage is and how much, you know, how horrible her, her husband is and blah, blah, blah. And you say, Jesus can relate with that. 
I mean, like, he was literally treated horrible by his friends. He was betrayed by Judas, the person closest to him. Right? I mean, I mean, Jesus is relatable. Jesus was hungry, like we're hungry. Jesus was tempted, like we're tempted. He was tired, like we're tired. He experienced everything that we experienced. That's what's so beautiful about the incarnation, that Jesus is relatable to us. Hebrews 4.14, let's put it up here. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confessions. And Hebrews goes on to talk about how he is the relatable high priest because he's been through it. He's done what we've done. He's experienced what we experience. This is the God that we communicate to the unsaved. Some distant being. We can tell them what God's like by showing them Jesus. Look at what my God is like. Look at what he is like. When they're hurting, Jesus hurt too. When they're struggling, Jesus struggled too. When they're feeling tempted, Jesus was tempted too. The word became flesh. This is good news. Don't explain to them some hard to explain, hard to understand, confusing God, although God is eternal and complex. Show them Jesus. He's the language of God. He's relatable. Show them Jesus. And then fourthly, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. It's one of the last things that Jesus chooses to say to his disciples before he says, Okay, go get to work. He says, hey, you guys need to know something. Everything in the law, everything in the prophets, everything in the scriptures has all been fulfilled in me. Why is that important? It's important because these Jew, these Jews, these Jewish, Jewish men that, that were called to be Jesus' disciples, they grew up Jewish. So they grew up in a religious system, much like many of us in America have grown up in a Christian culture with Christian nuances and Easter and Good Friday, and we understand those things, and we understand what Christianity looks like. Just like that, Jews grew up, these Jews, these fishermen, these tax collectors, they grew up in Judea. They grew up in Palestine. They grew up in Jewish homes, hearing about the law, hearing about Moses. The way that their culture was formed was completely surrounded by Jewish culture. That's Sabbath, all of these different things. So what Jesus is saying is the religious system that you guys have all been living in, okay, all of that is finished in me. I've replaced that. Okay, here's what we need to tell our unsaved friends. Hey, whatever system that it is that you've been trying to live by, how's that working for you? How's that going? I don't care what it is. Hey, the, uh, you know, the secular humanist thing, how's that, how's that working out? The Unitarian thing, you know, God is mashed potatoes. He's whatever, he is whatever you want him to be. How's that working out for you? The, hey, just pretend like there is no truth and do whatever you feel like and whatever you want. How's, how's that working? How's that going? What, what Jesus is saying is, hey, don't forget that everything that you learned in the law was not for an accident. It was to show you how much you needed me. See, all of the Old Testament was not an accident. It was all strategically placed there to point to how badly man was going to not be able to keep, to keep that law and to show that they needed someone to keep it for them. Romans 7, 7, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, Paul says. The law was there to show us our need for a savior. 
Okay, now why am I bringing this up? Because we, we live in an interesting time. Okay, we live in a post-Christian culture. Post-Christendom would probably be a better term for it. I don't know how long it's been since we've actually been a Christian culture. But we have very Christian nuances in our culture. We still do a lot of things that are Christian-y. Okay? Um, what, what that means is that a lot of people think of the gospel as Christianity. They get the two confused. So we think a lot of times that we're leading people to the gospel, but really we're leading them to Christianity. Okay? We're, we're, trying, we're trying to explain to them how cool it is to be a Christian. And, and let, me, let me say this. There's benefits to being a Christian. You could get someone to sign up for Christianity as a club without mentioning the gospel. There's benefits. Okay? Uh, you'll have a happier marriage. probably be a better dad. Um, you'll probably be financially more wise. You, you, you adopt Christian principles. I mean, there's lots of benefits to the, the, the club of Christianity, taken as a club. But someone can completely adopt that and completely miss Jesus. Isn't that the scary thing? I watched a crazy, this, this Christian movie the other day. It was a horrible Christian movie. Horrible Christian movie. Like 50 minutes in, this guy and this gal, she's trying to lead him to the Lord. She's, she's this godly girl, and he's this, you know, gangster, drug dealer. And, and she finally gets him to come to church, and he comes to church, and all of a sudden, here comes this Maserati, like, pulls up to the front door of the church, and out gets the pastor in his nice suit, you know? And I'm like, what's this all about? And he's all, who's that guy? And she's all, that's the pastor. And then the, the pastor walks by and he says, not all Christians are lame. And he walks in. And the whole point of the movie is like trying to show how cool Christians really can be. Isn't that the stupidest thing you've ever heard in your entire life? I mean, this is garbage. This is the way I used to think too when I was younger. I thought, in order to get my friends saved, I need to show them how cool Christianity is. Like, no, it's cool. It's really cool. Come to youth group. It's fun. We play games. And, oh, we, have, you know, we're, we go on trips. And it's going to be so cool. And you're going to love it. And it's like, no, it's not. You get better music anywhere. I can say that. I'm the worship guy, okay? You can go to Brit Festival, for crying out loud, okay? We do our best. It's not that cool, okay? I mean, church is great, but if we're here for church, we could find something better to do. I mean, we got to be here for something more than this social club that we, that we call church. And what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, all of the Jewish religious system was all pointing to me. All of the things that we call church are all pointing to Jesus, so put this together. I know, I know I'm all over the place. Put this together, okay? <laughs> Don't get people saved to the church. Don't make the church their Jesus because the church is a horrible Jesus. A pastor will cheat on his wife and then they're wrecked. The church will split and they're wrecked. They'll find out someone's embezzling money or their friend seems like he's a, a fake or a phony and then all of a sudden they're done. Their faith's gone because it was in the church. It wasn't in Jesus. What Jesus is saying here is no longer is your faith rooted in Judaism because Judaism cannot do it for you. What we need to do, listen guys, what we need to do as evangelists is we need to show the unsaved, the lost, we need to show them their inability to fix themselves. You can't do it. Religion is not going to do it. It won't work. Judaism won't do it. More laws won't do it. More rules won't do it. Christian culture won't do it. It won't do it. You can come to church and be part of church programs and, and marry a church person and, and read your devotional every morning and still your life can fall apart because that stuff's all great only if Jesus is in it. Only if Jesus is in it. The other thing we need to show the unsaved and the lost is not only 
not only that the church can't fix them and that religious systems can't fix them, but we need to show them that religion cannot cure their guilt. You realize when you're talking to an unsaved person, you're talking to a guilt-ridden person that is sick from the things they've done in their life, just like you are. They're sick over it. They may not admit it. They may come off hard, like, oh, I don't believe in all that. I can do whatever I want. But at their core, at their heart, they are sick from guilt, from the things that they know that they have done that were wrong. How do they know, how do they know it's wrong? Because they were made in the image of God. And at their core, they know what wrong is. They know what right is. You are talking to people that are broken when you talk to non-believers. You are talking to people that know that they are sinners. And it, all it really takes is telling them and having them actually receive it. They can't fix their guilt through religion. They can't fix their guilt through church. They can't fix their guilt through being successful. They can't fix their guilt through being a good dad or being a good mom or being a good anything. The only place to fix their guilt is through Jesus that's where we need to point them. Not through a religious system. So, a couple more thoughts and then we'll, we'll, we'll be done. Just a few thoughts of application, okay? Kind of, what do we do with this? Verse 46 of our text. Jesus kind of wraps up his time here with the disciples and he says, he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from where? Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. What's Jesus saying there? He says, I want you to go to all nations and to spread this message. But you know where I want you to start? Here, our capital. Start here. So I wanna challenge you guys, okay, because um, what we do as Christians, because we're so wired to wanna feel guilty about everything, is we feel like, okay, I gotta go to Africa now. I mean, I gotta go. And if you're called to Africa, then go. But the first thing we should be doing is evangelizing here. It's a whole, I think it's a whole lot easier for people to get saved in places like China right now and in places where Christians are persecuted um, and, and praise the Lord for that. I mean, there is, the church is exploding. The biggest church in the world is in China right now, I believe. Um, it's exploding because people know they need to be saved. You know where people are so lost and so far from the gospel? The place where they've all heard the gospel because they haven't heard the gospel. Sometimes I, I, I sit there on, on Wednesdays and I think, man, why am I doing this? I mean, I'm, I'm going to get up and talk to Christians over and over. I feel like sometimes I feel guilt, like I should go be talking to, to non-believers. Here's the thing. Christians don't get the gospel. Christians don't get the gospel. When, when God speaks through me in the gospel and people come on and say, like, that was so cool. I never heard that. What do you mean never heard that? But I do the same thing. I hear it and I go, wow, I didn't even get that. It's something that Christians need, and it's something that our country needs. And even though it's harder, and you're going to see less conversions probably in this country, this is where we are. And this is the context you can speak into. Okay? So if God calls you to go away, that's fine. But guys, let's do the work of an evangelist here. We are, Jeff says this all the time, it's good, we're, we are at the ends of the earth. If you start in Jerusalem and come here, that's pretty much the ends of the earth. I mean, it took me like 24 hours to get to Jerusalem. It's a long way away. So here we are at the ends of the earth. Let's, 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 let's go do it. And then lastly, 
verse 49, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the most important thing I will say all night. Jesus says, okay, you're ready. Three years, I've been with you, I've been equipping you, you know what you need to know, you've walked with me, you've seen me, you felt my power manifested, you understand the peace that I've brought, all of these things, but don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. Wait. Wait until power comes from on high. Have you guys ever tried sharing the gospel and knew that it was not actually, it was just totally your flesh? I mean, guys, I, I, I've preached a lot of sermons in the last seven years. I have flopped hard when it's me. I mean, it is the, the worst thing. When I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk and I want, I want to just say what I have to say, it just doesn't go well. I mean, I've shared the gospel with people and had it be the most awkward, like where literally I just want to turn around and walk away because it was so awkward and I probably just made them hate Christians even more. And, and every single one of the times I did that, it was because I was like feeling guilty and I got to share the gospel and I should share the gospel and ah, how about that guy? Okay, I'll go do it, you know? And it was completely awkward. And then I've had moments where the Holy Spirit tangibly was like, talk to that guy and I will give you the words, and it flows like you would not believe. It's like you don't even know who's talking. It's just coming out. You're like, wow, I didn't even know I knew that. I've never explained anything that well before. That's crazy. It's prophetic moments where you say something, and God's like, yeah, I'll use you. You're a branch. Don't forget it. You know? I mean, you're not, you're not saying it. You're just kind of like, okay, Lord, use me. Those are the moments of evangelism that God is looking for. Now, I said when I opened this that I don't want to come up here and just put a burden on you guys. And we need to be, we need to be uh, thoughtful about this. We need, to, we need to evangelize. We need to be encouraged to evangelize. But the moments that matter are the moments that God brings about. They're not the moments that you conjure up, you know? Like, okay, I'm going to trip, and then I'm going I'm to talk to that guy and say, oh, hey, you know, can you take me to the hospital? And then on the way there, I'm going to talk. I mean, that just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. But you know when those moments happen. And can I say, I was talking to Aaron about this today. If, if you have a relationship with someone for more than like five months, it's going to come up. It's going to come up. You know why? Because the gospel is attached to every facet of life. I mean, they're going to open up about their pain. You know what you can always talk about? How sucky the world is. I mean, everybody loves to talk about how sucky the world is. I mean, it's horror. You watch the news last night? Oh, man. What are we going to do about ISIS, you know? Why is, why is ISIS doing that? Why are they doing what they're doing? Start with questions. Hear their thought process. What, why do you think? Why do you think they're doing that? Why do you think our country, no matter who we get in office, no matter what we do, just can't seem to thrive? Why do you think man seems like always to be such a bad leader? Maybe it's because... Man wasn't intended to, man, to lead man. You know? I mean, there's just always opportunities. It's going to come up. It's going to happen. You have to literally avoid those moments and take it back to the shallow. Yeah, you see that game last night? I mean, the moments are going to come up. Life hurts. Life is raw. Life is real. And when it comes up, you have been discipling like Jesus for years, and you are there to have that conversation. And it may not all happen just then. That, that conversation I had with that guy that I talked about, where he was like trying to process Sandy Hook Elementary, it was so cool because that conversation led to another conversation, led to another conversation. And then we're going fishing and we're talking while we're fishing and, and just asking more questions. I don't know where that all led to. I just pray that those seeds were planted. 
but it was like a process of conversation after conversation. It's not like a five minute like, hey, you need to know this, Jesus loves you, okay, see you later. I mean, that's just not evangelism. I don't know why we've made it that, but it's discipleship. It's life, living life with people side by side, amen? Would you guys agree with that? Only God can open their eyes. Remember that. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. The last thing I'll say is, God opens the eyes of the lost. When I got saved, it wasn't anybody doing anything. I was mopping a floor by myself, mad at myself, angry at myself, and God literally was like, and he flipped that switch for me. Nothing to do with anybody. God opens eyes. I had been at thousands of arena packs or camp emotion-driven services where the guy gave the invitation and everyone's crying and none of them ever did a thing for me. And then I'm mopping a floor and God opens my eyes. I mean, he opens their eyes. So we can sleep at night knowing God's sovereign, okay? So that concludes this series. Spiritual disciplines. Now, I just want to say one quick thing and we'll be done. I said that like five times. Um, At the beginning of this series, I told you guys that the point of this series is not to try to earn God's grace or earn God's favor. Um, We started with one verse, and that's the the last verse in 1 Peter, um, and that's where Peter says to grow in grace. Now, I want to encourage you guys, everything that you've heard in the last nine weeks, Sabbath and Bible reading and meditation, and I can't even remember them all, all of the, the spiritual disciplines that we've taken in, those are just tools, They're tools not to grow in the favor of God, but to grow in the grace of God. And what that means is to grow in the scope that we have of understanding how good he is. So I want to encourage you guys, you're not going to do them all, and you're not going to do them all perfectly, but would you take a few of these tools that we did in this series, just to conclude and tie this all up, take a few of these tools and see them as just that, tools to grow in depth with your walk with God. Amen? So next week we'll be in Ecclesiastes Really cool book. If you guys want to go in and read it ahead of time, um, it's, it's, a, it's a really cool book. And we're going we're gonna to dig into that all the way through to the summer. So let's stand together and pray, and then we'll let you guys go. So Father, we just thank you tonight so much, God, that we are saved. That we're saved from eternal hell. And not, not just eternal hell, but eternal separation from you, the ultimate source of joy in the universe. God, I thank you so much that each of us right now, if we thought about it, could think of somebody that we've walked alongside that doesn't know you. And Lord, I just pray even now that you would begin to bring Holy Spirit moments that would come up so naturally with those people, with our aunts and uncles and our even dads and moms and maybe our kids and all of the people in our life that we love and care about. God, give us a burden for them. Lord, make us so sick at the thought of them going to hell. And Holy Spirit, bring up those moments where your gospel can rain down on their hearts that are so broken and bring life into their broken lives, God. Lord, make us vessels. We want to make disciples. Please use this church, God. May we be a city on a hill. May we be that salt in a tasteless and bland world. Lord, this world is so bland, and you are that soul, God. We love you out in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, we'll see you Sunday. Enjoy your night.